Welcome to QA Time, conversations with QA leaders, where leaders from the quality assurance community share their expertise, personal stories, and heartfelt experiences. I'm your host, Emily Chose, Senior Solutions Engineer at Case. Hi there. I'm so thrilled to welcome you to the inaugural episode of QA Time, Conversations with QA Leaders. I'm your host, Emily Chose from Case Inc., and I am so thrilled to present Jenna Charlton, our very own developer advocate based in the U.S. They have been testing and doing some code, but not so much recently, uh, and exploring quality assurance as a whole for the past 15 plus years. Uh, They write and speak about test practices, methodology, agile practices, and career development for juniors and those uh, seeking further advancement. Uh, We'll post the links for their Twitter, LinkedIn, and other channels to connect with them, but you're really in for a treat as we cover everything from their start and how they got interested in testing and quality, their definition, some uh, rapid-fire questions in order to get to know them a little bit better. But I really want to highlight Jenna's start as a quality assurance engineer moving up to a lead while at Progressive and product management, becoming a product manager, and then head of project, product, head of product. So they have experienced quality assurance from just about every level that you can find. And they have some really valuable insights, not to mention their time with training for the ISTQB certification. They earned their own certification as a technical test analyst several years ago and as an agile technical tester. So someone with a ton of experience, a lot of thoughtful responses to my questions, and along with that, just uh, a lot of interesting hobbies and fun things that we talk about in the episode. So stay tuned for more, and don't forget to subscribe. All right, welcome to the inaugural episode of QA Time. I'm your host, Emily Chose from Case, and I'm joined today by our very own U.S.-based developer advocate, Jenna Charlton. Jenna, thank you so much for making time to come on the show and to help me launch this new podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So I thought we'd start just by getting to know you a little bit better. And you've been in the the testing world for quite some time now and have done research. Uh, You're currently in a graduate program. And so would love to just start off with how you got into testing and maybe a little bit about your journey before then. Sure. Yeah. So I got into testing the way a lot of people do. Um, I fell into testing. Um, I'd worked terrible customer service jobs, um, you know, the the call center thing and all that. Um, and I'd been laid off. And for a while, I worked for a friend of the family who had this weird service called Travel Clinics of America. It was a uh, husband and wife, and they were doctors, and they had bought this company that they franchised, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, So they taught other doctors how to have travel clinics. Anyway, they taught me how to do some SEO work. I don't really remember how to do it at this point, but I remembered then because they showed me. Um, So I worked for them for a little while doing SEO um, because it was like six months before Bob and I were getting married, and I knew nobody was going to hire me and then let me have like three weeks off to get married and have time off. So and that's important to take that time and not oh yeah <laughs> jump right in. yeah so good yeah. work life balance we we yeah. love that 
Um, but that wound up leading me to, after a series of, of weird things, um, working for a company called Brand Muscle. Um, and I joined there because somebody I was working with that was temping at the company I was at said, you know, I think you'd really like this company that I'm temping with in the afternoon. Give me your resume and I'm going to give it to them. Um, and so she did. And I joined their help desk. And I want to say about eight months in, um, Trisha Mazzola, who was my manager, shout out to Trisha, um, if she winds up listening to this, um, she gave me the opportunity to start looking at other opportunities within the company. She was like, you know, you've got to, you got to do more. I, I'm worried you're going to get bored. Um, and I wound up kind of falling into the testing role and really falling in love with it. And I have to say that seems to be a pretty common trend within the testing space. I mean, I know a lot of friends, especially during this past couple years where we've had some big shifts in moving in and out of tech who have trained in, as developers or engineers. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like a lot of testers come from something else where quality is something that they care about. It's important. And uh, I think it's cool that you come in with this different context and this different viewpoint because staring at code and uh, staring at different infrastructure, sometimes I think if you are so indoctrinated into a certain system or process or way of looking at things, it does make it a little bit hard sometimes to step back and really evaluate what all is going in and to think a little more creatively or outside the box or from a design perspective, which it sounds like that served you well uh, as you've kind of continued on in your journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think a big piece of it too, is that a lot of testers come from the business side. So when you are a tester um, coming from the business side, you have a strong understanding of the business needs and how the business functions outside of IT. Mm -hmm. um, you understand your customer base. Um, and that gives you the opportunity to take all of that knowledge and then bring it to the IT side. Um, and that's where kind of magic happens because developers think about things in linear terms and want the quickest, quickest solution to a problem. Not that they're cutting corners, but they're not necessarily thinking about experience. Testers, on the other hand, know the customer and say, yeah, I know we can do it this way and it'll work technically, but our users are not going to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. Or I don't quite understand how to do it this way. So I know a user is not going to understand how to do it this way. Um, so we bring, we bring a mindset, um, especially when we come from the business that's, that's unique um, and is, is really different. Yeah. Well, as someone who's spent uh, quite a bit of time on the business side and customer success mm -hmm. and solutions engineering side, I can definitely appreciate the need to have uh, some checks and voice of the customer. But also, if you are too close to anything, it sometimes can kind of um, cloud your ability to see the bigger picture or to, to look at it um, for someone who's seen it for the first time or mm -hmm. who has less experience or isn't um, quite as, as knowledgeable about that. So I, th I think that's really important. Um, you mentioned in our preliminary chats that mm -hmm. the tester developer relationship is an area of interest for you. And I know that this can be a little bit tense or a little bit stressful in certain organizations or setups, um, particularly, I think, depending on the culture and how those teams are set up. What would you say the biggest challenge you see is based on those relationships and ways that you like to try to overcome or address those proactively? 
So I want to be upfront that those relationships should not be um, challenging or combative. They should be peer to peer um, and we should see them as partners. So developers should see testers and testers should see developers as partners. Um, one team, one goal. Mm -hmm. I think that this breaks down in two different situations. One is when test is completely siloed away from development and it becomes just thrown over the wall at the testers. Mm -hmm. There is, um, and we're going to go down a rabbit hole for a second, but if you think about some of the um, theories of social interaction and um, actually I just really, I just read a really interesting study about this last night. Um, this idea of high threat, low threat, high commitment, low commitment identities mm -hmm. and being part of a individual or group identity. When we are not sitting together, working together on one team, we develop these separate identities mm -hmm. and it's easy to have your identity and your welfare in terms of not like you think somebody's going to hurt you, but your emotional welfare, yeah. um, it becomes high stakes and high threat. So when it's just thrown over the wall, it's like, well, they don't care about me and they don't care about my opinion and they don't want to hear my voice. And developers feel the same way. They're like, well, they, the testers don't care. They're, they're just nitpicking my code. Right. And neither of those are true, but this, um, adversarial relationship develops because nobody's talking to each other because we have two silos and nothing in between them that's bridging the gap. Um, so agile teams, testers and developers work together much better. The other time way that this becomes really adversarial and it's really dangerous. And I'm sorry to folks who are going to like say, don't say this because my manager's going to be mad. But <laughs> when there are. <laughs> Lay it on me. I love, I want to hear all, all of the controversial, <laughs> challenging opinions. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't even say this is controversial or challenging, but it does call into question something that we um, have made a central way that we evaluate people. Mm. And that's using metrics. I believe in whole team metrics, but when we look at metrics that are number of bugs entered for testers mm. or number of bugs on your code for developers, um, we now put our, our teams in a situation where their needs are in conflict. And that's that's a really tough bridge to to build or manage as a manager. And you've managed some some teams. You've also dealt a lot with students and folks in various stages of their careers. And I would imagine that, especially when you're working with very diverse global teams or different experience levels, different opinions on methodologies and technologies, it can be hard to sometimes find those those common grounds. But I think that's a really important point of perspective and being able to just have that communication. I mean, we see this, I've seen this across departments at a number, almost every organization I've worked at um, that is larger or doesn't have great interdepartmental communication. And that's something I, I feel very strongly that proactive, positive, you don't have to sugarcoat things or, or you know, lie or, or white lie, but just being able to be human and empathetic mm -hmm. and under, try to understand where the other team or person is coming from a little bit about their context really can go a long way. 
And uh, I think um, the the whole situation now with remote or hybrid work or very spread out teams, you know, case has people across maybe 12 different time zones, give or take. So it can be very challenging to find that commonality if there's not a chance to discuss or build relationships that are more personal or outside of just the pure transactional code, um, testing, fixing. And so I, I think that's a really, really important point. Yeah. it And so there's the transactional nature of it. And there's the building community within teams nature of it. But there's also um, there's also the way we use data that can either be positive or negative. And metric is data, like metrics mm-hmm. are data. And when we use metrics as an evaluation of a person, we now put ourselves in a situation where everybody's in conflict. Because um, you may have developers who their code has dozens of bugs. Another developer who their code has just a couple of bugs. But do we understand the context of the work they're doing to understand why one of these is problematic or not problematic? Because I don't care how many bugs are in a developer's code. What I care about is that they're identified and they're resolved. Um, They might be working on something that's extremely complex. They might be working on something that touches six other systems versus the person who has two bugs that's just changing, you know, some text. Hugely different context. Metrics don't give us that. Um, So going on a tangent, but they become extremely problematic when they're not whole team metrics. Like I really like Dora metrics because they're evaluating the whole team. But that's a that's a bigger conversation. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe one of our future episodes. I know we've we've teased the idea of maybe having some panels coming up. So we'll we'll table that for now. But um, speaking of just complexity and overall quality of code, I would love to hear what you would define quality as. And I know this is <laughs> can be very very broad, very granular, um, kind of a loaded question, but. I think it's important to highlight that speaking of communication, quality standards, while there are quality control standards, that's very different from a quality assurance or a, a subjective qualitative uh, series of metrics or expectations that someone could have, especially depending on what type of people you're working with, who your stakeholders are, if they're external, internal. So what does quality mean to you? Quality um, only has meaning when the team has established what that meaning is. Quality for one system is not the same as quality for another system. Context matters and team understanding of the vocabulary matters. So when I look at what does quality mean? Well, to me, quality means software that's usable, that solves the problem that it intended to solve, and is low risk to the user and to the business. But all of that is abstract. None of that is quantifiable. Um, What is quantifiable is the context. So what does quality mean if I'm working on avionics software? What does it mean if my, my software runs the hardware in airplanes? What is quality there? Versus what does quality mean on Facebook? 
there are both risks. Like there's risks in both systems and there are risks to the user in both systems. We, we saw some of those risks come up with Facebook, with like Cambridge Analytica. We saw those risks come up with avionics, with Boeing. But the context there is very different and the quality requirement is very different. So quality doesn't have a definition to me because quality means whatever the team has determined it means and whatever the context needs it to be. Um, quality is a feeling and a agreed upon state of being, but it's not something concrete that anybody can really define. Um, you know, I'm going to give a big shout out to uh, to Damien. I apologize, Damien. I can't pronounce your last name, but you know who you are. Well, I'm sure we'll I'm you sure we'll like him. Um, Damien talks about semantics, and I happen to be reading a book on semantics when he I saw his talk on semantics, um, and this really drove home for me something I had talked about for years, which is this idea of shared vocabulary. But it really drove home to me that. Words have zero meaning until we assign meaning to them. And quality has zero meaning until the people who are engaged with it in that particular organization, in that particular system, assign meaning to it. So oh, I gave yeah. you a non-answer, but... <laughs> well, but I think in defining what something is not and defining that it is a context-based evaluation, assessment, expectation kind of intangible mm -hmm. that is set by the involved parties. I think, I think that works. That works for me anyway. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a short, it's a short question with a, a not so easy, straightforward answer, but yeah. definitely appreciate your, your approach there. <laughs> and I think um, we also talked about how risk is a really important part of testing and designing for risk mm -hmm. when a project is approached. I am a huge advocate for testing being integrated as soon as a project is is started, is planned, is designed, because you can't go back and inject quality into something after the fact. And it can be a bit more labor or resource intensive at the start, but that can save you so much down the road. So when you think about risk, what is your kind of key concern there when you're planning for something as, um, I'm going to say, simple as user data protection in the case of Meta or Facebook versus something as complex as you know software that will pilot a moving vehicle that has weather and other um, unpredictable elements to to consider? So risk has multiple facets and there are components to risk. Um, and we can look at risk in two different from two two different perspectives. One is the general idea of risk. The other is risk as a as a metric, essentially, um, that gives us meaningful information. So when we think about it in terms of let's start with like what happened with 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 Facebook, um, that wasn't necessarily a software risk. Like there's no. There's nothing that their testers could have done that would have appropriately identified and then been able to put a plan into place to mitigate that risk. Um, it was a business decision that um, had an inherent risk associated. So we're looking at a business risk there. When we think about risk in terms of the components of risk and how we measure and then plan for mitigation, 
we have to think about this in terms of how we calculate risk. I like a risk calculation. There are other ways to do this. This is my preference. So risk calculation would look at first, what's the likelihood or probability of failure? How likely is it that this thing, this feature, functionality, whatever it is, is going to fail? We should have data that tells us how many defects we've seen associated with it. Um, and then we have the impact. And this is what the impact is to the user, to the business, to the brand, all of that kind of good stuff. There's this other factor that I like to consider as well that is not part of the formal risk assessment. Um, this is this goes against what ISTQB and BBST say. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I don't care that this goes against what they say. Shout out to Progressive when I worked there. <laughs> this is where I learned it. Um, but Progressive has kindly allowed me to uh, proselytize this. I think that's the right word to use to like. Um, <laughs> shout this way of, of doing risk assessment um, from the rooftops, um, which is in adding this idea of complexity in. And complexity can be any number of different ways of looking at something. This can be um, how many features, how many other features it touches, how complicated the code is, um, how understandable the code is. Let's say we're working mm -hmm. with an algorithm that's really complicated and has a lot of potential results, but it's hard to identify what is and isn't correct, um, that would make it more complex. But when we look at all of those all of those facets, now we can identify what the level of risk is. Hmm. Um, and there's actually a mathematical formula that I use for this that we're going too deep to get into that. But we can evaluate risks in a spectrum. We can kind of put them on a, on a chart mm -hmm. and evaluate and then say, okay, now that we've identified our risk, let's start mitigating. We, if you're really going for the most logical way to do it, you mitigate the highest risk items first, right. work your way down. Um, but yeah. risk is, again, subjective. So this is, this is about what the team agrees is a risk. Right. And again, that's something that, you know, priority just mm -hmm. in and of itself can be so subjective to... Yeah. What are we categorizing this? Is it prohibitive to internal functions? Is it prohibitive to clients? What you know could cause potential security risks that you know could cause us to get sued or go through litigation. So there, there's so many ways to define that. But I think it's a again something that's really good to consider from inception of a project to build that into the planning and design. And um, just to kind of go back to your time at Progressive, and so it's been, can I say? How long? Over fifteen it's years in in the oh in the in, space. I think yeah, it's been about fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, what would you say some of uh, your key accomplishments have been? So I know it could cover a lot of things. <laughs> What's funny is you mentioned progressive, um, which yes, I brought them up earlier, but uh, mm -hmm. that's probably the most formative time um, for me in my career. I had, you know, I had worked my way up to senior. Progressive was my first senior title when I joined there. Um, and and I senior. Say that again. Sorry. Your title. This, so this is for senior. Yeah. So the first time I was a senior in title was when I joined Progressive. Okay. Um, while I was there, they really embraced my love of testing. And they embraced my desire to go deeper 
and um, really explore and examine. And they gave me the opportunity to do all sorts of things, sent me to a conference for the first time, let me bring back the testing circus from um, Test Bash in Philadelphia to Progressive. I put on an event for over 500 people using these. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. No, this is, I mean, I had a team of like 40 volunteers. This was big. Yeah. Um, but they gave me they gave me budget and the the ability to use volunteers and let people do this on the clock. And they let people have time away from work. People outside of IT, so customer service people, salespeople, come down and learn about testing. Developers and testers came too, but um, they gave me the opportunity to do my first talk. Which is amazing. Yeah, like I had mentors there who helped me with it. My manager helped me with it. And when the next opportunity came along, um, because I wasn't looking, it fell in my lap, they gave me like a pat on the back and a big hug and said, you were meant to do this. You need to go do it. And the doors open to come back one day. Um, So like those were my big moments was doing, doing my first talk there, Mm -hmm. doing my first event with them, um, really discovering my, my strength in this industry and where I belong. Um, So those were, those were like really big things that happened all at one time. And then probably the other, really big moment was I had my first keynote this past June, May, May, um, at Agile Testing Days in Chicago. Um, and that was, that was huge. That was a personal yeah. goal, So big accomplishment. Well, I'd say that a keynote speaking engagement is a great achievement by anyone's standards. So um, especially, <laughs> I think, again, you came from a background that was not testing related, but mm-hmm. You also, you do coding, you can understand a lot of things. It may, maybe it's not your favorite, but being able to just, you know, have that perspective. So for example, I've, I've done some intro boot camps and I, I've dabbled a little bit, but I'm getting to the point where I can recognize certain infrastructure or syntax or, um, you know, elements. But I think one of my personal goals is to, to get to the point where I could consider myself a very slow introductory junior coder but um so i think it just it helps to be able to understand the language literally and figuratively speaking that your colleagues and your peers are working within so uh you've had quite the journey and do you know offhand how many talks you've given at this point i don't try. i mean in in the, um, in the dozens maybe i i would say i would say if we include virtuals during COVID, maybe 50. That's a pretty solid number. I have <laughs> and, and I've seen I've seen a lot of your decks. You put a lot of time and energy into really crafting a story. You are a great storyteller. And you. you know, we just had our you're welcome. Well we just had our our session with the folks mm-hmm. at Ingenious. They just launched a new um, program, kind of an introduction to testing to let folks test out if they would like to pursue that as a career. And there's a ton of great resources. We'll also link some uh, in the show notes that we would recommend or that our, our colleagues have explored or checked out if you're curious about getting into testing. Um, but if you are someone who's been in the industry longer, um, you know, Jenna, you are on the board or you're co-chairing, track chair, was it? Track chair yeah. for <laughs> the Romanian testing conference coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the coming months, yes, and yes. 
that's in June. June of, of 2024. And then mm-hmm. you've been involved with CodeMash, uh, mm-hmm. co-track chair for, for quality for them, mm-hmm. and an agile testing day ambassador. You're a grad student. Do you sleep? Is I think is my question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't actually. <laughs> um, no, I, I do. I do stay very busy, but um, I have an incredibly supportive, wonderful partner who um, all of the things that he picks up because I can't um, is why I can do all of the things that I do. Well, that's always amazing to have a good support system, but especially someone you're sharing your life, your space, all of those, the fun ups and downs of, of stress <laughs> and, and projects. But um, no, I, it's Bob, I hope to meet you someday, Bob, and I'm sure you'll be listening to this, but uh, well, we're really happy to, to have you here at Case. And I think, you know, just our conversations, different recommendations you've given me um, to improve myself as a as a tester or at least a testing novice um i'd love to let you kind of give a few shout outs uh some book recommendations i know there's a lot of a lot of books a lot of resources a lot of content that we could talk about but some of the ones that you were telling me about earlier sound a little off the beaten path but more in theory so what would you say your top must reads are for for anyone who is an experienced tester or looking to to further their their career and their knowledge. So these are there are definitely must reads and I'm not going to go through the must reads because we all know what they are. Like there are Lisa and Janet's books. Okay, I'm going to drop the names anyway. There are <laughs> Hendrickson's book. Like so there there are books that are must reads. Um but getting off the beaten path, there's a couple of things that I think are really beneficial. One of them, first one I'm going to suggest, actually, I haven't finished. I just pick up and put down because it's that hard. Um, and that's uh, Gerald Weinberg's um, An Introduction to General Systems Thinking. I don't have a CS degree. This is this is stuff that you do in a computer science program. But it is a great opportunity to explore logic. Um, and logic is really beneficial in thinking through how a system works. Um, so I think it's a great book. You can get it as a Kindle download. I think you can also maybe get it free from the publisher. I'm not sure. Um, okay. But it's a great book. And if you want to challenge yourself, don't feel like you have to finish it. Pick it up. Get through a couple of chapters if you can. Put it away when you feel like you need to challenge your brain again a little bit. Pick it back up again. Um, it's a It's the kind of book you can do that with. Um, there's also a fantastic book called Thinking in Systems, which if you think about Gerald Weinberg's book, Weinberg's book, this is kind of like the next generation almost. Um, this is an easier read. Not, it's not an easy read, but it's an easier read. Um, and she goes into, Danella Meadows, who wrote it, goes into systems and systems thinking, but also how do systems interact what makes up a system? What is a system? And she goes deeper than just hard systems. So we, she also talks about soft systems and human systems, which are critical to understand when you think about your users, when you think about your team. These are human systems. Um, so that one is really good, less challenging, but equally beneficial. Um, and then another one that I love that, again, off the beaten path, and I know we're not designers, but it's it's useful anyway. Right. There's a great, yeah. 
It all ties um, together. I think yeah. one of the things I love is that you have a very holistic approach mm-hmm. and it your your knowledge, your background, your reading and different um, things you spend time on uh, all kind of play well together. So I think that's good to have a variety, not just strictly testing or harder stuff. I would love to say that it's because I'm intentionally holistic. Um, but it's not, it's because I'm ADHD and I just fall down the (laughs) rabbit hole of whatever interests me that at that moment. Um, the good thing is that all of these things that have interest me have, uh, built a knowledge base. Um, (laughs) That is very wonderfully convenient. (laughs) Um, oh, but this last book, um, is called Designing for Cognitive Bias. And this is really useful because we all have cognitive biases. Um, and it's not a bad thing. These are just something that like our brains are meant to work this way. But when we think about cognitive bias, we have to learn how to kind of shake ourselves out of some of our framing Mm -hmm. um, and kind of untether ourselves from our anchoring bias so that we can see things from other perspectives and we understand how our user's brain works. So we better understand how to test for them. Um, so that's another great one. And the name of the author always escapes me, but I'm sure it'll be in the notes. <laughs> it absolutely will be. I can promise you that. Um, so before we get to some of your recent projects and and wrap up, I'd love to just do a quick little rapid question fire at okay. you, if that's okay. Um, that's okay. <laughs> so we've touched upon a few of these things, but just kind of for fun. Um, Mac, Windows, or Linux? We'll start easy. Mac back okay um what's your go-to comfort drink or snack for long working hours oh uh water um in my good one (laughs) in my emotional support water bottle um and coffee (laughs) nice now are you black or are you a coffee beverage person a little bit of cream nice (laughs) um popular ui feature that bothers you or that you don't like carousels Oh, interesting. I suppose it is harder to be able to encapsulate everything in once. Um, Light or dark mode? Dark mode. (laughs) What about, well, I've seen seen, uh, Excalibur (laughs) in the background a few times. Uh, Cat, dog, bird, snake, or none? All right. Cats, because I'm allergic to dogs. Um, Also, cats are less work. I do not (laughs) like birds. I had a bad experience. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to chat about that later. <laughs> My aunt's bird attacked me a number of times in oh. childhood. Not a fan. Oh, <laughs> no. So sorry. That's okay. He was mean. <laughs> well, d- distant memories, hopefully. And then yeah. uh, how about how about reptiles? Um, They're fine. I've never had a reptile. Mm-hmm. I, they're fine. But yeah. I like I like fuzzy, cuddly things. That's fair. Uh, and then do you have a favorite sports or professional skilled activity you like to nerd out about? Oh, pro wrestling. Well, <laughs> that, I suppose that I kind of walked into that one. How about um, besides that? I know you're, you support the Browns. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I support the Browns, support the and Guardians, then... support the Cavs. <laughs> just a few. Just a just few. A and you're just saying that you're um, – and college football, I, it's not something I've dipped into being primarily West Coast as an adult and in, in college years, but I know that's really big back in uh, 
Ohio where you're at and kind of the South. So uh, your favorite college teams, if any? Um, so Ohio State, because I'm in Ohio, it's like a rule, That's you fair. know, turning your Ohio card <laughs> or not. Um, but also, you know, I'm, of course, a fan of of my colleges. So uh, Bowling Green and Miami University, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, by the way, not Miami University and or not University of Miami, excuse me. Important yeah. clarification. <laughs> in Florida, everybody gets it confused. That's um, fair. Yeah. A little less obvious than, say, Paris, Texas or Paris cities yes. in, in the states versus abroad but yes <laughs> um and then finally actually two more uh for brainstorming or problem solving do you prefer a physical you uh stylus whiteboard pen paper or do you prefer digital like some sort of design tool so I am an in-between. I have a Kindle scribe that I have found to be really, really, really useful as my okay. brainstorming tool. So it's like paper, but it's digital. Easy to track everything and log it somewhere. I had a, um, a rocket notebook for a mm -hmm. while that you could scan. Um, and that was nice, but you still have to go through scanning. And I write in kind of a weird mix of cursive and Danielian, so it didn't always pick up my uh, my scribbles. I just type so much faster, and it's so much faster now because I don't write as much. But I do try to to practice here and there. Um, and then finally, what's a least known fact, characteristic, or skill about you? Are you comfortable? Oh, oh goodness. Um... I feel like everybody knows my like skills. Like I can do what I do. I can cook. Um, oh, okay. This doesn't happen as much as it used to. And it, so remember for those of you who are old enough to remember scrolling through TV channels, because that was the way you did it. Um, my superpower is that I could find legally blonde, on TV any time of the day. Wow. It didn't matter where I was. If I scrolled through the TV channels, I would find Legally Blonde, which is great because it is a fantastic movie. Yes. Um, I agree. But that used to be my <laughs> unknown, that is my unknown superpower. That is fabulous. And <laughs> I mean, it's not one of those that would be playing 24 7. So it would still have to have some level of chance there. I you, you would think so, but either it's playing twenty four seven or somehow like there I'm going to chalk it up as a superpower or yeah. or something aligning in the universe. <laughs> I was manifesting it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, well, speaking of your Kindle scribe, just uh, mm -hmm. before before we end here, what are some of the the recent talks or projects that you are working on that uh, if people are interested, they should follow? or look for after the show? So um, something I'm very excited about that everybody can get involved in is um, my research project for this semester is looking at job title as it relates to the employee experience. And Ooh. by experience, I don't mean like your experience in your job. I mean, your experience in work, I guess is the best way to yeah. say it, okay. um, how you experience work. Um, so there's actually going to be a survey coming out um, that I'm going to publish waiting for IRB review um, that's going to ask you lots of questions about how you feel about job titles for testers and what feels best to you. Interesting. 
kind of, uh, you know, uh, almost a manifestation in some senses. So, yeah. Elements there. Um, well, um, oh, go ahead. sorry. <laughs> Good. Go ahead. <laughs> everybody who, everybody who participates can, uh, be kind of consider themselves a part of my thesis because you will have contributed to the research that will be a part of my thesis. So. Oh, excellent. Well, shout out to the survey filler outers because that's, there's always a need for data, as as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you've uh, you've recently had some sketch notes that you are starting the series on, so there should be a couple out by the time this goes live, which I'm excited about. The first one was it's great, and your inspiration for that, uh, I think you got a shout out for him, him on LinkedIn, was it? So um, yeah, I went to. Um, <clears throat> I apologize. I'm going to mispronounce your name. Katrika's talk. Um, and she'll be linked everywhere. Um, but she did a talk at targeting quality on the power of example mapping. And so I did a sketch note of her talk and Matt Wynn, who developed the technique, he, it happened to make it to him and he, he reshared it on LinkedIn, which was great. Um, and doing sketch notes was really inspired by all of the people who do sketch notes in a way cooler way than I do. I can't draw and I certainly can't draw quick enough, but like, um, Lisi hockey and, um, Constance, I don't know your last name, but she goes by Constance Hermit. Um, they do sketch notes live in talks, like on oh, wow. paper with like multicolors and stuff. And they're incredible. That's um, cool. Well, but you I don't love have time to be an artist and a tester and a student and all these other things. So <laughs> I was very impressed with your sketches. And again, like with quality or risk, I think art and beauty are very much subjective and in the eye of the beholder. And I, I think they were very clear and it was really interesting to, to check those out after the talk. So we'll, we'll also post a link for those and the series. Um, we've also got your mixtape coming out, which I love, especially since your uh, music is another passion point for you in addition to, yeah. to wrestling and uh, testing and all of that. So do you want to yeah, share a little yeah. bit about that? Um, so the testing mixtapes mm-hmm. are interviews with with testers um, and people who are really influential in the testing space and people who are maybe not so influential, but have something really interesting to talk about and should be influential. Um, and this was actually inspired by um, a, a uh, podcast that used to exist called uh, Testers Dis that was hosted by Ministry of Testing um, that Neil Studd created. Um, but these, as opposed to being a podcast, are a text-based interview. Um, so you can read it kind of like reading an interview in the newspaper. Um, and all of the contributors then kind of curate a Spotify playlist um, that are songs to test by that are inspired by their interview or have to do with whatever it is that we were talking about. Um, it's, it's really cool. I'm very excited about, about it. Uh, Lena is our very first interview. Um, so shout out to Lena. Her playlist is awesome. Um, (laughs) I can't wait for people to read it. Well, I'm excited to listen to the playlist on Spotify too. I love, um, Spotify or Pandora was my, my first favorite. I, I love the music genome concept and, uh, the idea that 
I liked songs. I never could for the life of me remember the name or the artist unless it was very, very obvious. But even sometimes people would look at me and say, Emily, are you serious? You don't know who this is. You can't remember. <laughs> Decades later, I'm still running into this, but it's okay. Uh, you know, making space for for other things in my brain. The lyrics, though, I could always I could always get along with. But I love having curated playlists by other people get a little peek inside their mind, being able to have music that's appropriate to knock knock out some some tasks, different uh, you know responsibilities you have. So I think that'll be really exciting. And then you've we've got the conferences coming up. So uh, the CFP is open for the Romanian Test Conference you mentioned, and we'll also link uh, some of those other ones like uh, Agile Testing Days and CodeMash as well. But really, uh, any other final thoughts for those tuning in before we call it? So glad that you made it on today and that we were able to to chat. I, I've really enjoyed our conversations beforehand, but it's always fun to be able to share exciting, less known things about people. Well, final thought would be find something new to explore every day. It can be something small. And when I say explore, it doesn't have to be exploratory testing. But yes, do some exploratory testing. Um, but find the most interesting people are the people who are interested in things. So find the things that make you excited and you get passionate about and start exploring them. The more you explore all of these disparate concepts and things and activities and stuff, the more connections you start to make both in the way systems work um, and in the people in the communities that you develop. Um, so go explore. Love that. Yeah, continual learning. And there are some wonderful communities within the, the testing open source development world. So if you haven't found those, please go out and check those out. We'll link all of the things we talked about and more uh, in the show notes. So please tune in and look forward to our next episode. We'll talk some more. We'll do some more rapid fire questions and we'll bring some more interesting people to share their journeys, their experiences, and maybe some of their stories from in the trenches that uh, they've had to, to overcome. So <laughs> thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Thanks for joining QA Time, conversations with QA leaders. Subscribe to keep up to date with the quality assurance community. If you'd like to nominate yourself or someone else to be a QA Time guest, head to qatime.case.io. That's qatime.case.io.